now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, they got here. Walk into paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. What's the truth from you? Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast post-game edition. I'm Matt Prem, Jared Mack on the show with me here atop, I have to get used to saying this, Mountain America Stadium. It's no longer Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, here in Tempe, uh, Arizona, Oregon wins this football game, the final game in who knows how long, could be ever, uh, at ASU, 49-12, to 12, or 13 over the Arizona State Sun Devils, um, probably the best start, the best first half that we have seen from an Oregon football team in a long time. The only, and you say this like very tongue in cheek, this like is really nitpicky. Yeah, like the only real issue you had is they got across midfield twice in the first half, but they didn't score. Um, that's not really an issue. It's a complete ass kicking, to be quite frank. Um, yeah. really impressive game. Yeah, I think ass-kicking is an excellent way to describe it. Um, Oregon went 6-for-6 six six on their drives in the first half for 42 points. Uh, I can't remember if that's the most they scored in a half this season, but it's probably right up there with Portland State. Yeah, uh, I probably should have looked that up before the show. But, yeah, uh, led by Bo Nix. And I don't know what else we have to say about him. He's been incredible. He was incredible again today. Uh, finished the day with 403 yards passing, six total touchdowns, 83% completion percentage. Uh, he was just dominant. I mean, even his incompletions, at least two of them were drops. Yep. I think every single incompletion, except for maybe one, there was an opportunity for the wide receiver to catch the ball. If they caught it, it would have been a spectacular catch, all that good stuff. But he, he was on point from the very get-go. And I think a lot of the week we talked about – Oregon's defense going against Kenny Dillingham's offense and how weird that was going to be with the swing gate and other plays that uh, Kenny Dillingham would make up basically on the fly. But that really only worked for two plays in the yeah. very first drive, and that was it. Uh, Arizona State, as we talked in the podcast this week, was really limited in their passing attack. They clearly were today, although Oregon's defensive backs, I think, had eight total defense or pass breakups, which is really good, three of them from Dante Manning. Um, but overall, just an ass kicking. Like Ty Thompson got in with like 12 minutes in the second half, yeah. in the third quarter. Like that's how much of an ass kicking that first half was, and that's exactly what you want. Uh, you did not want to do a repeat of what Washington did against Arizona State. So good on Oregon. 
Bo Nix, um, just the second quarterback since at least 2012 to throw six touchdowns in any half of a football game. The last guy to do that in the Pac-12 was Luke Falk uh, from Washington State during the 2015 season. Six passing touchdowns is also a career high for, for Bo Nix. Um, we should note that he should he was robbed of, uh, a, yeah. of a program high for a single game of seven on a pass to Terrence Ferguson in the, Terrence Ferguson in the end zone, which was just a, a horrible call by the officials for, of offensive PI. That was clearly a catch, no interference there. Um, Troy Franklin becomes Oregon's all-time leader in uh, receiving yards in a single season. He is now over 1,200. He passes Dylan Mitchell um, for that record. He also becomes Oregon's all-time record holder for most touchdown catches in a single season with, is it 13 or 14? It's 13. 13. Um, That is another record. Uh, He's close to the most receptions in a single season that could fall next week against Oregon state. He's tied. Um, And career receiving touchdowns. Yes. Yes. Uh, Bucky Irving becomes just the seventh running back in program history to have two 1000 yard seasons in their careers for the Oregon ducks. He's a, uh, he has now produced the 28th uh, all time 1000 yards or more season for Oregon's football program. And, Last but not least, Camden Lewis becomes uh, Oregon's all-time leader in total points scored uh, for the Oregon Ducks. He has 386 points, and he passed during this game Royce Freeman's mark of 384. Um, it was it was a game where everything offensively basically worked to perfection. Um, like you said, like ASU knew. Uh, they were gonna. They were gonna be in trouble. Uh, they ran, I think, 24 or 26 first half plays, and 17 of them could be defined as trick plays. Dan Landing said post game, like he told the team, when you see this happen, whether it be the swinging gate or whether another kind of funky formation or scheme, you know, that's your opponent telling you they can't beat you straight up. They're having mm-hmm. to pull out tricks to have a chance. And you don't want to make too much, you know, rah, rah, rah type comments, but this just shows you the gap between these two programs. Um, it's a place that Oregon's had a hard time winning at. They've never won in November down here. They've lost, you know, they've lost last two down here. Now, hardly few of these guys are on this team, but Oregon is operating as if they are one of the best teams in college football. They're number six in the country going in. Um it, it only is cemented even more that they are playing playoff caliber football because they did what they were supposed to do and then some. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a lot worse than 49 to 13 yes. if, you know, if Oregon kept Bonix on the field and all the starters. Um, but the second and third stringers were in there uh, at some positions for basically the entire second half. And I think only the first drive on both offense and defense did the starters or the number one team play. Um, and they still dominated them. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about defensively, at least from my not perspective. Not they didn't play very bad. They, no, just... they, they played well. Um, the only uh, touchdown that was allowed was with the second team in. Yep. And, you know, that that happens. Yeah, it would have been great to shut out Arizona State. But 
I think you're asking a lot at that point because um, Arizona State was like they were running some intricate stuff. They were running this weird, uh, you know, the swinging gate formation, a lot of end arounds, a lot of fake pads, like so many random things that it, it's fine that they allowed a touchdown. But um, the defensive backs I thought were really good. They played tight coverage. Obviously, they weren't going against a really good quarterback or Scadaboo, who's a running back who threw the ball <laughs> a bunch of times today. So it wasn't like their toughest test. There was certainly no Michael Penix or DJ Uyunglele next week, but they did well at a lot of pass breakups, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and the defensive line got a lot of pressure. I don't think they were recorded a single sack, and I think there was only one tackle for loss or two tackles for loss on the entire score sheet. Yeah, just two, which was surprising. I thought there was at least three or four. Um, but they got in the backfield. There were a lot of lot of pressure throws from Trenton Borgay, the, the quarterback for Arizona State. Um, Cole Martin came down with his first interception of his career off of a, a oh God, a bad pass to put in mildly uh, from Scadaboo as a running back rolling out to his left and trying to throw across his body. But um, it was just a good draw for, for everybody on the defensive side. I thought Jordan Birch was actually really damn good. Yep. I thought uh, Brandon Dorless, no surprise, was also really good. And I thought Jeffrey Bossa – you know, did a lot of good things as a communicator. He played well, but I think his communication in this game was incredible because of the reasons I mentioned before, like Arizona State was calling a bunch of random stuff. And it was clear that Oregon had spent a lot of time on film looking at what Arizona State has shown in the past. Um, Kenny Dillingham called at least two timeouts today because Oregon read what they were going to do and they needed to try something else. And I think I give a lot of credit that credit to Jeffrey Bossa to, for doing that. Um, you know, like the leading tackler was Cole Martin and Bryce Betcher. Yeah, it's not a real indicative thing of like they played really well. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like it was against Utah, where you know they were big plays. They stopped a good offense, and like this was an uneven matchup from the start. And that's why we all predicted such a lopsided score, and that's why it was such a lopsided result. Um, the leading tacklers, like I said, were Martin and um, Betcher with five. 16 players on Oregon's defense had two or more tackles. I think the number – I think I was counting while you did it. Um, it's like 38 guys did something defensively in the box score. Now, some of these guys are offensive players who played on special teams or an interception. Um, but that just speaks to, A, Oregon's got a lot of guys on defense, but, B – they didn't play a lot of guys a lot a lot of minutes that from the no, from the starting group and that's it's really important. Yeah, like how many times have we seen an Oregon team go into November in this type of a situation where they're playing an inferior opponent, they've got a really big game the next week, or they're just coming off a really big game the previous week, and they win, but it isn't always pretty and it isn't always clean. And I think that's the difference between this team. And previous ones, and ones that remind me of 2014 when Oregon went to the national championship, was they they, they maybe that 14 team maybe played three bad halves of football its entire season, mm -hmm. and I think that's probably where about Oregon is this year. Like they came out and immediately put their foot on ASU's throat and then just pushed down on it and delivered. One of execution wise, one of their best performances we've seen in the first half, which then allowed them the luxury to pull a lot of guys that are dealing with stuff. Bucky Irving didn't play in the second half. Uh, Kyrie Jackson, Jalil Florence didn't play in the second half. 
We saw Bo Nix eventually get pulled after the first drive in the second half. I don't think Troy Franklin played. He played, but much in the second half. Yeah, uh, okay. He just didn't play a lot. Um, you know, but they they pulled a lot of these guys that are either highly critical, highly you know, important for this team, or and or I should say, guys that are dealing with some injury. Um, they pulled the offensive line relatively quick offensive line stance. Sometimes you see, you know, that teams will pull all the skill guys out and the offensive line group will finish the third quarter or they'll play midway through the fourth. And then those backups get a couple reps, but a lot of Oregon's offensive linemen that start, they weren't in the game late in, in the third quarter. Um, and that's, yeah. I mean, they, they basically all left when Bo Nix left. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that that's invaluable at, this time of year, especially like Dan said, post game, they got a short week, short week yeah. ahead of Oregon State. Yeah, no, all of those points are correct. Um, that's exactly what you want a good team to do, and a, and a team like Oregon, who's uh, top six in the country, who's trying to get to that college football playoff, and is going to have a real shot at it because of what they do to bad teams. Um, they beat bad teams badly. I think it's an easy way to put it, and that's exactly what you should do. Uh, you know, they haven't had any real nail biters with a bad team. Um, I still don't, I don't like USC a is not a bad team, but B like that wasn't a, that wasn't a nail biter. Like, yeah, they made it kind of close at the end, but that one was never in doubt. Like the Washington state game was never in doubt. The score looks a lot closer than the actual game was. And today I thought the score was maybe reflective of how like lopsided it was. Cause if you put starters on starters for all, four quarters. I'm not even sure what the score would end up being, but it would be a lot too a little. Um, and again, like this is, this is a Kenny Dillingham led program in Arizona state that is certainly on the up and coming. Um, that has been ravaged with injuries all season long in the offensive line and quarterback and everything, basically everything in between and they will get better, but uh, they were not that today. And I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be like Colorado where Dion said like, Oh, you better get me now. But yeah. This is this is a program that's up and coming, and I appreciate what Kenny Dillingham has done. Um, you know, we talked to a couple of players after the game. No defensive players, unfortunately, so yeah. that kind of stunk. But uh, you know, they had to fight the catch. The game went way too long for how lopsided it was. Um, but uh, they all had they all said that Kenny had nice things to say to them. Um, uh, Troy Franklin specifically said Kenny told him to go win the Pac-12 championship and win the national titles. So it's obvious that Kenny is still. You know, he obviously has ties here. He's rooting for his guys because they're, you know, they are his guys. He was with them just, you know, like a year ago, eight months ago, ten months ago. Like this is still very fresh to to each each program that you know these guys are gone. But um, I do like what I saw from Arizona State. It's just they have they had no options today to do anything other than run a swinging gate, uh, run a tight end at quarterback, run Scadaboo at basically – he had – Scadaboo had like two or three legitimate punts. Mm-hmm. They didn't bring in their punter because of injuries. They brought in their running back in Scadaboo. So, long story short, good teams like Oregon need to beat bad teams badly, and that's exactly what happened on Saturday. Oregon – we haven't even talked about – Ted Johnson having six catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Gary Bryant having three catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Patrick Herbert having three catches, 78 yards, and two tutties. Um, Casey Kelly had a touchdown pass from Ty Thompson. Thompson came in, and he looked good. He did throw an interception, but he was clearly hit on 
a throw and that impacted the ball where it went and it was it was picked off. But offensively, everyone looked good when they were in 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 the field. Um, and I think all I, it, it just feels weird because this was like a complete dominant performance. But there really isn't much to say. Like we're we're gonna have to scrape the barrel here. Um, yeah, I a couple things. I thought the offensive line played really well. Um, this is an Arizona State defense that has yep. brought a lot of problems to a lot of people. We talked about it on the podcast. Um, there were a couple of tackles for loss against Bucky Irving and Jordan James, um, and those happened. But Bo Nix, he had such a great day because he had all day to throw. And he was able to find Troy, Gary, Tez, uh, Casey – or not Casey Kelly, sorry, Casey, but Patrick Herbert and all those guys that we just listed because he had time to throw. Um, and – Arizona State's defense didn't really have a choice and didn't have a didn't have a chance today, like I said earlier. But um, I thought the offensive line did really well. Uh, I thought Jackson Powers Johnson and Stephen Jones on that uh, tight end screen of Patrick <laughs> Herbert, like the the, the two man wrecking crew out there. Um, you know, that's just a great play design and play call in the moment by Will Stein and the offensive staff. Um, I thought the play calling was great. I don't I haven't heard a lot of complaining about that recently. It certainly helps when uh, Bo Nix is throwing the way he does. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting the last few games with Bo, um, they've kind of gone pass heavy yep. for the last four games. Not that they've abandoned the run because clearly they didn't, but it's a lot more passing than you think. I mean, he has, I wrote this down earlier for my Bo Nix story. He has 129 attempts in the last four weeks. 100 completion, so he's doing quite well, but 129 in four weeks. So that's just, you know, a little bit over 30, 30 a game with a high of uh, 38. I think that was against uh, Cal, if I remember correctly. Um, so it's a little bit interesting, and the same thing happened today. 29 attempts, but 29 in the first half, yeah. more or less. You know, he just had a handful in the second half. So I think that's kind of interesting to follow. It's not that Oregon isn't running the ball effectively because they still are, but it's just something that I've, you know, probably me and probably a lot of other people have picked on um, that, you know, Oregon's going a little more pass heavy here. But I don't know. This is a hell of a stat padding day if you're both. <laughs> well, what I was going to go into was like, I think this offense every week, the last four weeks, has shown something new or they've done something different than they've. They have in the in the previous six games or whatever they've played before that, um, they're playing their best football. And I think if we went back and we watched week one of the football season and mm -hmm. compared that offense to what it is today, they are drastically better. Mm -hmm. And it's different. And yeah. you're right in terms of the and attempts. And that's good. Yes, they're they they have evolved. They've thrown new wrinkles in. Um, and we saw the. Um, Terrence Ferguson screen pass for a big gain last week. And then we saw it again this time, but Patrick Herbert got it and scored. Mm -hmm. Patrick Herbert was featured multiple times in the first quarter uh, yeah. of this game. Um, we've seen Gary Bryant get more targets mm -hmm. uh, this week than he has the last couple of weeks They're They've adapted. You know, teams are trying to take away Troy Franklin and that's led to Tez having an opportunity um, to have big moments. And, you know, unfortunately for Tez, like he's probably on pace to uh, also break what was the single season uh, receiving record. Well, um, I don't know if he'll do that. He's going to be close. Yeah. Um, but that's no longer going to happen because Troy has, break, has broke it and is going to just continue stacking more and more onto it. 
But now that teams are focusing on Tez a little bit more, it's opening the door for other guys. The last couple of weeks, it's been Terrence Ferguson. This week, uh, it was Herbert and Gary Bryant. And I'm curious to see, like, who is the next person that kind of has a breakout well, spotlight on this offense, if there is another person. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I don't think there is another person just because Oregon runs a really tight ship there. Yes. Unless it's going to be Treshawn Holden, um, who's certainly had his moments during the season. But, uh, no, I agree. Like, there's – there's uh, Bo Nix talked about it on, on post game. He said that this offense is multiple. And while we've known that, uh, I think we've really seen it come to fruition the last couple weeks where – I think earlier in the season, they were certainly a run-heavy team. Um, obviously, losing Noah Whittington probably plays a factor into that because you had right. three really good running backs, and now you have two really good running backs with a lot of unprovenness behind you. So that probably factors in. But the way that they are able to go from a run-heavy team, a good run-heavy team at that, to becoming a very good pass-heavy team in the last couple of weeks – uh, I, I think it was really impressive, and you have to give Will Stein a lot of credit. This is a guy who came into the year with some real question marks because he hadn't you know, been a play caller for like a year and a half and was at UTSA. Like a lot of question marks from from us, from Oregon fans in general. Um, he's been great. He's been awesome. He's obviously helped Nixon improve his game. I think his play calling, sure, like there's been moments, sure. but, you know, who among us? You're not going to be perfect every single time, and I'm not saying Will is perfect, but – Damn, he was pretty good today. I'll tell you what in his play calling. And when you have Bo Nix, that that helps a lot. Uh, can I just go through Bo Nix's stats the last four games? The, sure, they're bonkers. I know. I, I looked them all <laughs> up. I did the math. Or I didn't. I let my phone calculator do the math. He's thrown for fourteen hundred and forty-nine yards in four games. Sixteen Jeez. touchdowns, a single interception, which wasn't his fault. Dropped. And 100 completions on 129 attempts, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, for 77.5%. Uh, it's the, pretty darn good. It's good. And and the most important stat of those all is that every single game ended in an Oregon win. And for Oregon to continue with these college football playoff hopes and aspirations, they need to keep winning. And they got a good old test next Friday. Yep. Uh, the only injury news, we never actually asked Dan about Evan Williams, but he came back. Yeah. He played. Um, he exited the game when the rest of the starters got pulled. He had some kind of brace slash cast club yeah, on his on his right arm because he came out after fielding a punt. Yes, um, wasn't touched. So I don't know. I mean, it, he did something to a, a a finger or a thumb or or something, um, but he came back into the game at some point. He finished until the score got out of hand. So that's really the only injury news that we have that mm-hmm. we that we should report. Um, there's no one else that we saw that got hurt. Uh, and I don't even know if we should be calling Evan Williams. Yeah. It's not really an injury because he came back and played. Yeah, he came back. And I think that's probably why, I mean, I certainly wasn't thinking about asking Dan because he came back and played. Uh, I have one more thing and then we can end it all. Uh, shout out my, the guy, Darian Anderson, (laughs) walk on wide receiver. Who's gotten a lot of praise this year from Troy Franklin. Uh, I think it's his first career reception. Yeah. One for 16 yards. So made a nice little juke move. Made a nice juke move. Got a first down. Kept the chains moving. So shout out to Darian Anderson on his first career catch at the University of Oregon. Really special. I want to see if he is from real quick. If he is from uh, Arizona. Arizona. And that's why. No, he's from Hawaii. So no. But shout out to Darian Anderson. That was my last thing. It's gonna do it for us from a post game edition. 
Uh, you'll hear from us next Monday with a mailbag. Eric will be with us. He did not make this trip. Uh, he chose to stay home. Um, but we will miss him, and we'll have him back on the podcast on Monday. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Peace. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sandra Herrera from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.